Thank you, Stacy, and thank you, Dennis, for leading us in worship this morning. I appreciate you guys' ministry to us. Uh, just out of curiosity, is uh, Keith and Judy Potter here at all? I've got some friends coming in from Wisconsin. I didn't know if they actually made it. They're going to come and check up on me, make sure you guys were treating me okay. I don't see their hands anywhere. I was thinking about putting a little sign in front that said, help me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You guys are awesome. Take good care of us. Take very good care of us. Uh, Back in, let's see, middle school, I lived in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, went to a Christian school called Grace Fellowship Christian School, and I had the uh, pleasure of playing basketball on the basketball team, and I was one of the bigger guys, so I usually played forward, center, and even though overall we had a pretty much a smaller team and we're from a smaller school, we did pretty good overall. We had one guy that was so short, he was our, our point guard. He would, uh, you know, pump fake, go for a three-pointer, and seriously, guys would jump up to block him and fly right over his head, and then he would shoot and make the basket. It was an incredible move, and it worked out on a couple occasions. So that tells you how small our team was, and, uh, but we were still, you know, pretty decent. We actually went to state, the state championship, or not championship game, but the finals. We were in the playoffs, and we were playing against this team that took steroids and the middle schoolers who had beards, you know, the typical team that's just like... Total impossible odds to, you know, to beat these guys. And yet we were staying neck and neck with them the whole game. I got to tell you, this was the one year that I shot 100% in my three-point range. But I only shot one of them. <laughs> and it was in this game. And I'll let you kind of imagine what happened. Seconds were counting down. We had to get from one end of the court to the other end of the court because we were down, and we had to make that last shot. We ran down there, and my buddy, who was the th good three-point shooter, he shot, and he bricked it, and it bounced off and came right into my hands. It's just like the gift from God in the final seconds of a game. I don't know what possessed me, but I knew we needed a three-pointer, and so I went off to the, to the uh, baseline, you know, three-point range. I dribbled over there. No one was on me, and I shot it right at the buzzer, left my hands just in time, and it swished in there. I started jumping up and down. I was like, yeah, yeah. I looked around, and none of my friends, none of my teammates were jumping up and down. I know it was sad, wasn't it? The reason why is because we were three points down, but one of my other friends, had a, a, they were shooting free throws, and they had a, a free throw line violation on us, so they shot another one that put them up by four points. So my, that was my almost so close to moment of glory, and it was stolen. I won't tell you his name, but his name's Ronnie Wisdom. He stole it from me, from his line violation. It killed me. That was my almost moment of glory. But haven't you ever had one of those moments of where, you know, we just want glory for some reason. There's almost like there's something inside of us that we want glory. And uh, like whether you're playing an actual basketball game, raise your hands. I know John and, uh, yeah, <laughs> Brad, both of you guys I know will raise your hands. Had those moments where you're practicing at home and you're just like, three, two, one, and you shoot it up. Raise your hands, guys. There should be a lot of you. Don't be, yeah, Pastor Spencer. I didn't know. Awesome. Yeah, we've all had those moments where we're just like dream of those, those glory times for us, you know, uh, those moments where we get to win it all and, you know, just jump up and down and rejoice. Um, nowadays, my priorities have changed a little bit. Instead of dreaming of the, like, uh, you know, hitting the three-pointer at the, the buzzer or for a pitcher's pitching the perfect game, I'd love to, to preach the perfect sermon. 
Have you ever thought about that? What would the perfect sermon look like? What, you know, if you could do that as a pastor. I think it would be good for us to talk about this sometime. I, I, was, I thought about it a little bit this week. I'm not sure what it would look like, but I think there would be a, a packed house. You know, it would be totally full, standing room only, not a single person sleeping, uh, you know, perfect songs. Why are y'all laughing? Perfect song selection, no complaints on the sound. Chris, would you appreciate that? I think so. Chris and Cody, you guys, no complaints on the sound. Uh, just a little bit of laughter, a little bit of tears. Preach, you know, just the perfect message. And then at the end, there wouldn't be any altar call because you wouldn't have to. Because you just start praying and then people just pour out of their seats, coming up front and just like revival right there. You know, that would just be like the, the perfect sermon. I know your bar is a little bit lower. You're like, okay, if we get out time and we can have coffee in the sanctuary, we're good to go. So we'll have to try to match up sometime here. Don't get your hopes up today because this probably will not be the day of the perfect sermon. But we all dream of glory. We all dream as children playing sports, pretending to score the game-winning goal. Uh, whether, you know, the young boys playing war and dying for your family and friends. Girls, the glory of a magnificent wedding, being the belle of the ball, winning Olympic gold in gymnastics or ice skating, having the perfect family, having the perfect home, having the perfect husband. Keep dreaming, Eunice. Keep dreaming. But we all have this intrinsic desire for glory, don't we? It's just like it's, it's built into us almost, where we want glory. And I don't think that is all bad. I think God built us for glory, to do good things that are worthy of glory. Romans 8.21 says that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. 1 Corinthians 2.7 says, No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory. Isn't it funny? And I don't want you to get, get, take this out of context, because I'm not trying to diminish God's glory when I'm talking about our glory. But I hope as we start looking at how we have glory and God has glory, the differences between the two and how they actually go together. There's a relationship between them. And they're not at odds. No, so it says, for our glory. 1 Peter 5, 1. It says, to the elders among you, I appeal as, fellow, as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We see passage after passage that talks about the glory of the children of God. But as happened with all good things... After the fall of man, when sin was introduced, our desire for glory was warped, and it was twisted. How was glory warped and twisted? I'm glad you asked. When it comes down to it, the things we glory in are just plain stupid, aren't they? They're just plain stupid. I'm always amazed by the standards by which our culture determines whether something is praiseworthy, glorify, glory-worthy. We must acknowledge some of the legitimate praiseworthy glory kind of moments where someone like dies selflessly uh, as an act of service to our country to protect our freedoms. You know, those, those, there's some legitimacy to some of the things that we, we say are worthy of glory. But you don't see their pictures on boxes of cereal. They're not getting paid millions of dollars. The value we put on someone who can put a ball through a circle, the value we put on a man who can hit someone faster and harder than anyone else. Pay them millions of dollars. 
the value we put on the NBA finals right now is, you know, just people scoring basketballs, you know, putting the, the ball in the hoop. You know, should just be happy if I put my laundry in a little laundry basket. You know, that would be worthy of glory in, in her estimation. You know, it's like we, we glorify people who act like other people, and we call them celebrities, but they get paid more than the people they're acting like. You know, it just seems kind of odd. We've got brain surgeons and heart surgeons who make less than our, than our celebrities do. It was just kind of weird how we, the, how we esteem people and what we esteem them for, because that's really what glory is, isn't it? Kind of high estimation of, high value, high worth of. You run fast, you jump high, you shot an 18-point buck with a slingshot from 500 yards. That might be worthy of glory, I know, to think about it. You eat 300 hot dogs in a minute, you can spell 3 million words correctly. Are those things worthy of glory? To truly understand how ridiculous our aspirations for glory, how twisted and warped they become, just look in the Guinness Book of World Records. Paul Hun, loudest burp. Guess what it is? Just so you know, at 80 decibels, you start experiencing hearing loss for extended periods of time. Paul Hun could burp at 110 decibels. That's impressive. There's something to aspire to, all you young men. Most people brushing their teeth together. Oh, let's, go, let's go get some glory. Let's go set some records. Most people brushing their teeth together. I'd be happy for four to brush their teeth at the same time. <laughs> These guys managed to get 10,800 people together and brush their teeth. Impressive. Guys, if a woman ever comes up to you named Linda Lou Taylor and wants to marry you, say no. Reason why is she set the record for the most times married, 23. I'm not sure if that record still stands. I just pulled these off the internet. Ashrita Furman, most eggs cracked with the human head in one minute. His own, by the way, wasn't just like getting to someone else's head and just smashing them with it. His own, 300. Wow, impressive. No, it's not impressive. Just because you can do something no one else can or do it better, it doesn't make it great, it doesn't necessarily make it worthy of glory. Even the things we glory in that might be semi-legitimate, we can't take credit for them. I like this, uh, this quote, and I think it was done by St. Francis de Sales. It's hard to tell um, sometimes who actually said what, but there's this quote that says, some men become proud and insolent because they ride a fine horse, they wear a feather in their hat, and are dressed in a fine suit of clothes. This obviously dates this quote a little bit, doesn't it? Who does not see the folly in this? If there be any glory in such things, the glory belongs to the horse, the bird, and the tailor. Isn't it true? In Scripture, John 3, 26 through 27, you don't have to turn there, but there's this guy named John the Baptist. John the Baptist. This guy was so, such a good baptizer, he had baptizing in his name. He was not just the middle name baptizer, baptize, you know, Baptist. He was John the Baptist. That'd be like me being John the Lepard. You know, it's not just I'm not a Lepard, I'm John the Lepard. You know, this is like John the Baptist. I mean, he's the man. He is the baptizer. If there's anybody that's good at baptizing, this is him. This is his whole public ministry 
is kind of centered around him preaching a message of repentance, having people flock out to him and out into the wilderness and him baptizing them. That's what his life and ministry kind of revolved around to a large degree. John 3, 26 and 27 says this, And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness? Um, he says, look, that guy happened to be Jesus. He says, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. That guy is stealing your glory. You are John the Baptist. He's not Jesus the Baptist. You are the John the Baptist. Why is he baptizing? What do we need to do? You know, in churches today, that would be cause for, like, totally undermining everything we ever believed in and being like, wow, we're doing something wrong here. People are going somewhere else. You know, it's just like you totally rethink everything that you're doing. John the Baptist had his world rocked. And John answered and said, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Not even one thing. Thing. There is not one thing that we have, good or bad, whatever it might be, that is not given to us from heaven. Who are we to take glory in those things, even if they are legitimate? We seek glory from the wrong people. Let's imagine, for instance, that whatever you take pride in in your own life, let's just imagine for a minute that everyone sees that. Let's imagine that everyone says, wow, that is incredible. You are the greatest. You are the best. Even if the whole world would agree that you are the best at something, what does it really profit you if we agree? You are the best basketball player. What is that truly added of worth and value to your life? So what? You're the best. Whatever. Fill in the blank. Let's pretend like we can achieve whatever we think will bring us glory in this world. What have we truly gained? It's a good question to ask. What does it really profit us? What profits a man if he gains the whole world, and even if it be the esteem or the glory of the whole world, and loses his soul? The glory people give us is most often for stupid reasons. The glory people give us is too easily taken away, given to someone else. The glory people give is really of no meaningful significance and bestows no lasting benefits or value. Who won the Super Bowl? 1987, I think it was. Super Bowl 22. Does anybody know? Anybody know? This? I'll give you five bucks. I was wanting to wait. What? You're just guessing because you want five bucks. <laughs> now everybody's, okay, that was it. That was your chance at church. Y'all missed it. Justin ruined it for you. <laughs> 1987, Super, I mean, Super Bowls are huge things, aren't they? They're massive. This was just a few years ago. No one remembers? Anybody remember? What? Ooh, who said that? Matt, did you just Google it? <laughs> yeah. Corey, does he have a phone in his lap? Is he looking at it? Okay, Matt, I owe you five bucks. All right, I owe him five bucks. I'll take you out for Slurpees, for slushy sometime here. All right. So you're right. But the crazy thing is, you know, who, who was the MVP, Matt? Follow it up. Ooh, he's good. All right, if you want to know trivia, uh, you know what the funny thing, Matt, is no one else in here cares. <laughs> that you know that. Sorry, that was your moment of glory. You got a little bit, but I just stole it back. Right? No one cares. 
That's kind of the point. Is Washington Redskins, Doug Williams. That's the point. It's like, who cares? That's the point. We are so confused when it comes to glory. Louis Giglio likes to use this illustration, and it's wonderful. It helped me start kind of grappling with how to understand what we do with glory and how it's been twisted. And he likes to use the term magnify. They're almost used, those terms are almost used interchangeably to glorify, to magnify. And he likes to look at magnification and say there's two ways of magnifying. You can magnify as through a microscope, and you can magnify as through a telescope. Magnifying through a microscope, you are big, and you are looking at something that is small and making it big. You can also magnify us through a telescope where we, who are small, look through and see something that looks small at first, but we start to understand the true immensity and the, the, the true size, and the, we just gain perspective that we are the small ones. And that, even though it seems small, is really what is huge. All too often, we magnify us with a microscope our small deeds. We magnify our worth, our value, our glory, making that which is small look big, when instead we should be magnifying God as through a telescope, realizing that which we thought was small is in reality magnificent and amazing and worth, worthy of all of our glory. Again, that's Louis Giglio. He's the smart one here. He says, sin has a way of shrinking God down and puffing us up in our own estimation of ourselves. Romans 12.3, look that up. It says, stop looking through the microscope at yourself. It's not really what it says. But the gist of it is, do not think more highly of yourselves than you ought to think. Stop looking at yourselves through a microscope. Stop making bigger deal of yourselves than we ought. Think rightfully about yourselves. And then scripture says, look at the, through the telescope with me. Revelations 4.11 says, worthy are you, O Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created it's a Copernican shift do you remember that moment you probably don't remember some of you might remember the Copernican shift it's the moment in time when when Copernicus told the world that the earth is not the center of of the solar system it's not the center of the galaxy it's not the center of life that there was something else outside of them that was center to life. And because of that, it opened up a whole new world. We started to understand the galaxy. We started to understand things far beyond ourselves because we understand our rightful place. This is a Copernican shift when we realize that life is not about me. Man is not at the center. The Copernican shift. We understand that we are not at the center. But God is. And all of a sudden the world starts making sense. We start to see, we start to understand. Man's purpose statement is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. It's what Scripture teaches us. Throughout Scripture, we just see glorify God. He is worthy. We can magnify Him. You know, and, and I've heard this growing up, and it, when I was younger, it always kind of rubbed me the wrong way because I saw these people who were like, you know, those guys always looking for glory. They always want the, the limelight. They always want the spotlight on them. And it always rubbed me the wrong way. And when I heard that about God, I was just like, that's kind of messed up. Have you ever thought that? And 
I think it's important that we deal with that because I think it's a lie of Satan in our lives getting us to, again, focus back on ourselves with the microscope. When it comes down to God's glory, who else can take credit for the thing God's, God wants glory for? Who else can? He is not selfish in wanting glory when no one else is worthy of the glory to be given. It's only selfish if someone else can take credit for it. I would like to see anyone point to anyone else who can take credit for what God has done. It is egregious for anyone to take glory for any of the things that God has done. Everything God does is not just for his glory. It is important for us to connect this next word to it. It is worthy of glory. It is worthy of our glory. So what should we do? um, So what should we glory in? How did God mean for it to work? How do we apply these principles to our lives? Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 is a great passage. You can write it down. Turn to it because I'm going to read it right now. This is a great passage. And uh, just kind of let you know, I, I think this was a passage that I'm reading in King James Version or close to it. Just because it sounded a little bit better, a little more weighty. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, Neither let the mighty man glory in his might, nor let nor the rich man glory in his riches. What did that just tell us? The very things that we are most proud of, the things that define us, things that we are best out, you cannot, don't glory in those things. Don't let the things that you're good at define you, because they fade, they come and they go. But the rest of the passage is what is key. But let him that glorieth, glory in this, that he understandeth me. And knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Glory is not about what we have or do, but who we know. Or better yet, who knows us. We all have an innate desire for glory. For lives to be meaningful. And we recognize that our meaningful is determined in large part by someone else's opinion. We cannot simply think, I am great and be great. Someone else must think us great. And I propose to you today that someone else is not just someone or many ones, it is the only one. C.S. Lewis in his sermon, The Way of Glory, said this. He defined our glory as fame and good report, but crucially noted that this fame was not conferred on us by our fellow creatures. It was not being famous or glorious in man's eyes, but instead our glory is based on our fame with God, our approval or appreciation by God. That is the basis of our glory. I like to play the guitar. Guitar's fun. I like, it's just fun to sit down and, and play and sing, even if, if people aren't here. It's just an instrument I like to play. Some of you heard me play might think that I'm awful. That guy's no good at all. He might be partially right. Some of you might hear me play and say, that guy, he's all right. He's okay. You know, some of you who have never heard anyone play the guitar before, you might listen to me play and be like, man, that guy's incredible. You'd be in the minority. But you know what? I don't care what you think. (laughs) That sounds awful. It sounds terrible. The reason why I do not care what you think about me playing the guitar. It's because I've heard Phil Keggy play guitar in person. 
down in Nashville, just was it October, November there, uh, Chris Carey and Brenda and Kevin and myself, we all got to go and to a, a private, that uh, was a, a product demonstration for these speakers, tiny little thin speakers that are only like this wide, who cares? Everyone that was there was there to listen to Phil Keggy. Guy's one of the most incredible guitarists in the world. Uh, it's said, I'm not sure how true it is, but it's been said that Eric Clapton was asked, who's the best guitarist in the world? And he said, I don't know, ask Phil Keggy. So we got this opportunity for free to go and watch Phil Keggy in a room that we were the first people there. We got up the front row, and there was only probably like 50 people, 60, 70 people that even showed up for the thing. We were right there. He could spit on us. We were so close to him. And this guy just started playing the guitar. Incredible. It was like, it was, I didn't know it was on my bucket list. Once I heard it, I was like, that's on my bucket list, and I crossed it off. It was incredible. It's amazing. Just listen to this guy, and he would start playing the guitar, and he's all over the place. Then he picks up like a, um, like a little shaker, and he's got the shaker in his hand, and he's playing, and he's shaking this little egg shaker all at the same time. And then he gets these little cymbals, and he's playing them. And as he's doing this, he's pressing all these foot pedals. He's recording himself and then playing that recording that he just played. And then he starts playing again, and he's recording that while he's playing something different. And then he's like playing with himself like four or five different times, and it's all like meshing together and just this beautiful thing. And you're just like, wow, that's incredible. That's amazing. And he does it all from just memory. He's not looking at music. I can't even memorize like three or four chords in a row. This guy's just playing these incredible compositions. I've heard Phil Keggy play. I am not a good guitarist until Phil Keggy says I am a good guitarist. He has arrived. I have not. His opinion matters to me more than anyone else's because I've heard him play it. And he is amazing. His voice, his opinion, is the only one that really matters to me in the world of guitars. The highest glory that we can achieve is not to have the sum total of every person who has ever walked the earth combine their collective voices together at one time and sing our praises, but to only have one mouth at one time look at us and say, well done, our good and faithful servant. Have you ever had one of those famous people battles? with Kind of like guys, like Scar Wars, where guys sit down and they compare their scars. Oh, yeah, look at this one, you know, and you're just like showing all your scars. Sometimes guys, we get together and we're like, oh, I saw, I saw this person at this restaurant. And you're like, oh, wow, you know, I, I saw this person somewhere else. And, you know, I was at this concert, and this guy, again, spit on me or, you know, threw out, like, his, his dirty rag or, you know, it's just like the things, you know, it's just weird. We have these famous people battles. I met this guy named Jeff Finholt, who was the lead singer of Black Sabbath for, like, I think he just practiced with them technically for, like, one month. He didn't, wasn't really their lead singer, but I met him back in, like, high school, and he rode in our van with us, and I remember telling all my friends, I didn't even know who Black Sabbath was. That's how lame of a, like, high schooler I was. I didn't know who Black Sabbath was. I was like, I know Jeff Finholt. I didn't know why it, sh it should be important or special, but I was like, I know Jeff Finholt. Everybody's like, you know who Jeff Finholt is? Who is he? And I'd have to tell them, they're like, oh, wow, that's cool. The power team, there's a, a strongman group, John, kind of like the strongman group you, you saw. You know, the power team, these huge, massive guys came to our church, and they rode in our van. 
and the van got stuck and they got it out. They got out of the van, picked up our van and got it out of the, the mud. You know, it's like, oh, I know the power team. Like that was important or special. Eunice. Eunice was pen pals with Joy Williams. She won a Grammy, was it last year, two years ago now? It's been a little while. But Eunice was pen pals with her from Camp Barrichell. They were friends growing up. You know, uh, I shook Dick Cheney's wife's hand once. You know, we could just keep going, and you're probably just shaking your heads like, poor, poor boy. You're right. But isn't it funny how, and you're thinking of the exact same things in your own mind right now of famous people that you've met. You're like, oh, I so one up that. Joy who? Jeff who? You know, you're just laughing at all mine, but you're replacing them with your own in your minds. I know you are. We like talking about people who we know as if their fame and glory can rub off on us. Like it reflects something of who we are, that we are important. And that's ridiculous. As if anyone could have that much glory. But there is. God has placed a desire in every one of us for glory. To bask in his glory to be like our Savior who achieved glory and in being so closely associated with Him and His glorious accomplishments that our medal, our worth, and our value are established. Amen? Glory be to God. Let's pray. Father, seems appropriate to apologize on behalf of humanity for the way that we have warped and twisted the concept of glory. Sin in our, our life has pussed, puffed us up in our own estimation of ourselves and it has shrunk you down. Lord, I pray that we will gain perspective that we will have that Copernican shift in our thinking. Help us to understand, Lord. Help us to magnify you because you alone are worthy of praise. No one else can take credit or glory for the things that you have done. No one comes close. Father, help us to be humbled by this truth. God, but I pray that this truth will not push us away from you, but it will draw us close to you so that we may be glorious because we serve a glorious God. We may be glorious because Christ accomplished the most glorious thing on our behalf on the cross. Let us not glory in our wisdom, in our riches, or in our might. Father, may we glory in that we are known by you. We pray this in Jesus' name. All of God's people said,